Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello, guys and gals, theys and thems, cats and dogs, and everyone else in between. Welcome to The Voices in Our Heads, episode number two. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy you're here. And I hope you're okay. You okay? How you doing? Check in with yourself. It's good. It's really good. I started doing it lately. I started checking in with myself, and I started asking, like, how do you feel, Christina? Sometimes I'll say it out loud, and that helps because it's just a verbal reminder. Um, very excited for this episode. I'm going to be talking about a lot of stuff, uh, mainly Adderall, but I have a lot of stuff to say before that. So I'm going to say that stuff. I have upcoming shows um, and I want to highlight just four of them. <laughs> um, so to get taking links to any of these shows, I have a website. It's ChristinaHutchinson.com. And uh, there's a ticket links for all of my live shows, but there's also a tab for this podcast. And for each episode, there's like a little blog entry and it lists all the references, all the things that I reference in that episode. If it's an article or a song or whatever the fuck, um, you can find it on the website, which is cool. It's like a resource. You know what I mean? If you're going to be in New York City, here's some shows that are really cool. These are shows that I'm producing and hosting. So I'll be on stage most of the time. Sunday, October 13th at 7 o'clock, Corinne Fisher and I have our monthly residency at Caveat in the Lower East Side. Thursday, October 24th, 9 p.m., Justin Silver and I are starting our new monthly comedy show at The Stand, and it's called We're Not Banging, because we're not banging, guys. People have a really hard time comprehending straight male and a straight female who are both single being friends, but I have a lot of well, they're not, some of them are single and some of them are not, but I have a lot of straight guy friends and we're not banging. If I wanted to bang, I'd bang you. Well, I mean, I'd ask. Well, I wouldn't ask. I would, I would, you know, be really coy about it and then when you weren't picking up my vibes, I'd get pissed off. That's what would happen. But we're not banging. Thursday, October 24th. And my last monthly show uh, is Glamour Puss. It's co-hosted by myself and Wendy Starling at Zinc Bar. That next one is Saturday, November 16th at 8 o'clock. You should come. And if you live in San Diego, California, I am headlining American Comedy Company November 21st to the 23rd. So come to all that if you want. You have to be 21 and up to get into most of these things. Sorry. It, but get a fake ID. Don't do that. You could. I had one. I had a fake ID. It was a real ID, actually. It was my friend's ID. She turned 21 before me, and she gave me her ID. Did not look an inch like me whatsoever but I used that to get into a lot of nightclubs when I was 19 and 20 years old and then one day we all went to Club Marquis in the meatpacking district and she went in first and then I waited about 20 minutes by myself outside and then I went in and the guy was like this ain't you and I'm like yeah, yeah it is fucking bitch but he was right so I got sad and I felt bad for myself and I walked all the way back to my dorm room on 47th street from the meatpacking district. That's a long ass walk by myself. Cause I was like, I'm a loser who's too young and I don't deserve a cab. I also cannot afford one. So that's cool. Hey, congratulations to all the babes on blades out there. This is, I'm so glad you guys dig the rollerblading thing. 
there's a, a lot of people emailed me about the blades. Um, that makes me so happy. I bought rollerblades for the first three people who emailed me. They're all ladies. Well, I think the, the lady names, Michelle, Emily, and Paige. Paige lives in Canada. That's pretty cool. Um, your rollerblades are on the way if they haven't already arrived yet. I'm so excited. And if you rollerblade, tell me about it. Oh, social media. That's the thing that I have to promote. Christina Hutch on all the things. I don't care about Facebook. Facebook sucks. Right? I hope Mark Zuckerberg's not listening to this. He's not. Hey, can we take a moment of silence for Beyonce? She's not dead. I just, I really love her. She's one of my favorite people in the world. These are some random thoughts that I wrote down. I do stand-up comedy, obviously, and when you're a comedian, every comedian has a different way of writing. For me, a lot of times I'll have these thoughts that are by myself and I'll just be thinking of random shit. And if something piques my curiosity, I'll write it down. And then a lot of times I'll get my jokes from just having conversations with friends. And then if they laugh at what I say, I'm like, you think that's funny? Okay, I'm gonna write it down, make me a joke. Stand-up comedy is such a bizarre, interesting, fascinating art form. Because I really, I don't know if other comics feel like this, but... I'm really working hard to find my voice and to try to be really authentic, but I'm way more authentic on a podcast than I am on stage. I don't know why. I think it's because I overthink shit. Um, but here's some random things that I wrote down this week in my note section, comedy note section on my phone. <laughs> okay, so riddle me that. Like, just think about this. What if, what if Taylor Swift, and I'm a fan of hers. I think she's great. She's, I love her music. But what if, Think about this. What if Taylor Swift was born with an incurable wonky eye? Like one of her eyeballs was just, just going the other way, a way that she didn't want it to go. And they couldn't cure it. And she has all this talent. Well, maybe she wouldn't be able to read music. No, you probably could. You just close one eye and read it with one of the, the other ones. That's not wonky. If you have an incurable wonky eye, I apologize for not using the accurate medical term. And I don't mean to make you feel any less than. I really don't. But I was thinking the other day, if Taylor Swift was born with an incurable wonky eye, she wouldn't be famous. That's how shallow we are as a society. Also, too, picture Taylor Swift on stage, like, there's a love story, maybe, and with a wonky eye. You can't concentrate. You'd be like, <laughs> where's she looking? She looking at me or she looking at you? Or she looking at that guy over there? She okay? She got to fix that eye. All of that, all of her platinum selling albums wouldn't exist if she had an incurable wonky eye. I truly believe that. And that says something about us as a society, guys. Is it something that's fixable or worth fixing? I don't know. I don't know. But I can't imagine a world where we had a huge, gorgeous, talented pop star with a wonky eye and then no one just said any, just no one said anything. Someone's got to say something. Like, Taylor, your eye's weird. And she's like, you think I don't know that? She knows. She knows it. Okay, here's another random thought slash question. Why do airline employees always have huge gaps in the middle of their speeches? And I'm talking about the motherfuckers behind the desk at the terminal. I'm talking about the flight attendants. And I'm talking about the pilots. They all three of them. They all do this. It's like they're distracted mid-sentence. It looks like as if they're looking at the computer or something important, but like when the gate agent is like, ladies and gentlemen, we are now boarding flight 526 to 
Charlotte. Okay, let's start with military employees and anybody with a baby. And then you're like, that took a long time to get out. Maybe do read what you wanted to read and then say your thing so we can all get the words all at once. Although it is an effective method for keeping you on the edge of your seat. And then you get in the airplane and they're like, hi, thank you. Hi, how are you? Welcome to Delta. Oh my God, hi. They're all Southern. Everybody, they're all Southern. And then they'll be doing the announcement about the flight. Like, okay, this is your flight attendant. I'm going to go through the safety procedures. And you're like, what? what are you doing? You're not, where are you looking? I think it's fascinating. Sometimes, well, this one time, <laughs> I used to have a huge fear of flying. Huge fear of flying. And I, it's because of 9-11. Because your girl watched that footage 9-11 happened when I was in eighth grade and I was in Pennsylvania. And I remember being so stunned by the idea that this is something that could happen. I think a lot of, <laughs> we all were, I'm not special in that, but I would go online and I would just re-watch videos of the planes flying into the buildings. Real, you know, happy shit. And I just couldn't get it out of my head that the next time I go on a plane is going to fly into a building. And then by the time I was in eighth grade, I don't, Actually, I don't think I've flown once by the time I was in eighth grade. The first time I flew was the next year. Um, I went to England and I was like, we're going to die. I, I, it was to the point my anxiety about flying got so bad up until maybe, I don't know, five, four or five years ago. It was really bad to the point where if I would drive past an airport, I would start to panic. I would start to panic breathe. And my ex was like, dude, you're in a car on the ground where you have a way higher chance of dying. I'm like, I know, but like... You don't know. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know. I'm like, oh, you know everything, don't you? He was right on that. <laughs> and then this is, <laughs> oh, God, I was having a conversation with somebody, a guy that I had a crush on. Um, this happened a couple weeks ago, and I wrote this down. He said this to me. He was, he's very handsome. I think he's very handsome. I think he was, he's really hot. But he says to me, he goes, I mean, neither of us are supermodel pretty. Because we were talking about just the dynamics of men and f women and going about the world and being treated, you know, better if you're better looking or whatever. And then he, he, he comes out with, I mean, you and I, we're not supermodel pretty. And I was like, <laughs> I know, right? Like, let's just be honest about that. <laughs> and then he left and I cried. Because I know you know you're not. If you're supermodel pretty, you have to know, Right. There's statistically people listening to this that are supermodel pretty. You have to know you're that hot, right? But honestly, I'm part of the problem because I treat people who are supermodel pretty better than I treat other people who are regular looking. Because I, tr in my head, in the moments where I'm interacting, I'm like, you're better than me. God liked you more. I don't even really believe in God. But he liked you more. She liked you more. That's for damn sure. Because look at your face and look at mine. I got a fucking, I mean, I don't think my face is bad. But um, definitely not supermodel pretty, which is fine. <laughs> I don't care. Fuck you. I don't know what I look like. I will say, like, sometimes I'll look at my own, I'll stalk my own Instagram and I'll go and I'll just go, what do I look like to other people? Like, what do other people see when they look at me? And that's why I look at my profile all the time. It's <laughs> stupid. It's a waste of time. And I'm like, what do, what do other people see when they look at me? I'm like, I'm, I'm cute. Right? And then it's just, it's, a, it's an ellipsis. I never, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know what? You are what you feel. 
Because I know a couple people that aren't hot. You, if you just saw a photo of them, you wouldn't be like, wow. But if you meet them, their confidence is so high in a way that you're like, you're the sexiest person I've ever met because of the way that they act and the way they carry themselves. I think that's really admirable. And I want to get to that point. I don't think it's going to happen. I am a positive person, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I think it would be cool if it did. Fuck you. I'm supermodel pretty. <laughs> it's okay. We got to be honest with ourselves. This is the other random thought I wrote down in my joke section. Because I started, okay, I started smoking cigarettes. Uh when I was in high school, a, a bunch of my friends smoked cigarettes. And I, and I was like, I'm not doing that because I just didn't have an interest. And then my mom was so anti-drug and so, like anti-substances. And I remember telling her like, mom, all my friends in high school smoke, but like I don't smoke and I never will. And she's like, that's my baby. Oh God, I love you, Christine. That's right. You stay on the right track. Mind you, both, both of my parents were heavy, heavy, heavy smokers um, for the first 12 years of my life. They had, they since quit. But uh, my dad once told me that he smoked two packs a day when he was in the Navy. And I was like, dude, what else did you do? How do you have time for anything else? If you're smoking two packs a day, the, I, I currently smoke. I quit for a, a minute, but then I broke up with my ex of seven years. And I'm like, you know what? I deserve 8,000 cigarettes. And I started again. And I didn't want to quit. But uh, but I I would say, let's see, what's the most amount of cigarettes I would smoke in a day? Maybe eight max and that's a lot and that's probably me not feeling great at the end of the day but um but I amped up my smoking because when I was dating my ex he had just gotten out of a relationship with a famous porn star named Stoya I do a, a story about it on Comedy Central this is not happening is on oh it's on my website actually wow look at me really really responsible um about like the whole thing if you're interested in watching it but but I was really self-conscious about this because she's obviously such a sexy woman very effortlessly sexy she's just one of those people that are effortlessly sexy it's like you should be a porn star you're good at it um but I was very insecure about that because especially I met him when I was 22 or 23 and I I think I've gotten sexier as I gotten old as I get older certainly but when I was 23 I was like what you're looking at me very not sexy and and very insecure about the fact that I wasn't and I didn't know how to be I just didn't know how to relax um, because I was too worried about what everyone else was thinking and so I was very aware of the fact that I was goofy someone pointed a camera at me I'd make a face that's like <clears throat> that sound picture a face with that that was the face I would make and I remember oh man yeah so so his ex story had smoked a lot. And then I smoked intermittently, mostly when I drank. And I remember one day my ex said to me, you know, it just doesn't make sense when you smoke. Like, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't fit you. Like when story smokes, I get it. But when you smoke, I'm like, eh. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, really, motherfucker? Oh, I'm going to smoke every day for as long as I live. And boy, did I. I was huffing down cigarettes like a damn chimney because I was like, I can be sexy. You just wait and see. And in my head, I am a sexy smoker. In my head, I smoke cigarettes like, like Kate Moss or James Dean, the actor, not the porn star. But instead, the, the reality of all of this is that when you look at me smoking, it's more like Danny DeVito or, or Roseanne. It's not Kate Moss at all. It's not like, I'm like, yeah, 
take a take a photo of me. Oh my god, Terry Richardson, whatever. I'm smoking. I'm so hot. No, I'm like Dan with my fucking fingers. <laughs> I'm just I'm not a sexy smoker, and but I've I've since given up the desire to be a sexy smoker. Um, that was my goal early on, though. I will say, like I think smoking is like really cool. I think you're like hot when you do it. Um, I will say if you are looking to quit and, but you need motivation to quit smoking, first of all, you have to want to quit. That's something that everybody who's, who has successfully quit has said. And I could not agree more. You have to want to quit. When I quit, the last time I quit was, um, right before I broke up with my ex and I really wanted to quit and I did. And it wasn't bad. Honestly, I I truly wasn't that cranky. It's because I didn't smoke a shitload, I guess. And, um, but then I broke up with them and I was like, I deserve all the cigarettes in the world right now. Cause I'm really sad. You guys, it was like, I was, you know, when you're vegan or something or you quit something and that's all you can talk about. That's all I did. Guys, I'm, I just went through a breakup. Everybody. I'm just, I'm, I would just announce it. I would walk into Pret-a-Manger and be like, guys, I'm going through a hard time. Okay. Don't mind me. Sorry if I push you. It's like, they don't care. Hey, let's do some fuckboy theater. Okay, so this fuckboy conversation takes place between a fuckboy and a gal. And before this conversation starts, before I come in, he suggests to the gal that they engage in anal sex. And then this is where the conversation will now continue. We barely know each other. I know, but you'd like it. Better than making you a mother or two, because you're probably really good. But we'd be waiting till we're married either way. Now I'm thinking about us doing that. Wait, about us doing what? Are you paying attention to the convo? I don't know if you're talking about the marriage part or fucking my ass. Hard to tell. Me, putting it in your tight ass. But he doesn't spell out ass. He goes A star star. It's text message. What the fuck is your problem? Me, putting it in your tight ass. In parentheses, the dream. Fucking your ass. Hard eye emoji. Hard. LOL. Ouch. Spanking you hard and squeezing though boobs. So would I have to warn you, or can I just put it in? It's not going to happen. We barely know each other. What if it's a finger, just once, and you could go back to being choke? I don't know if he means choked or what the fuck this idiot means. And then the girl sends a picture of a blonde actress in a hat giving a laugh that's like, get the fuck out of my face. There's no words on this photo, but she's like giving that look that's like, oh, you think I'm going to do anal, you dumbass? That look. And then he says, why not? We barely know each other. So I got to know you to get to know your ass? Since you like spanking, that mean when I see you, I'll see Calvin Klein's? My mom says no. What do you mean? No, she doesn't. Yeah, she said no. No, she didn't. You wouldn't ask her that. We don't have her blessing. 
That makes no sense. Whatever. <sighs> no spanks or anything for you. Boo, boo. And then she types, boo, who? Star, 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 star. Because she typed the wrong thing. Dot, dot, dot. You have the sense of humor of a Birkenstock sandal. I'm sorry. I'm just tired, babe. And would be disappointed not getting to see you in your thong. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for your support. Yeah, with the other thing. Oh, guys are weird. Being dating apps are so weird. They're so weird and uncomfortable. One more thing I wanted to read that's fuckboy related. Sometimes people send me photos of people's profiles on these dating apps. And this one I thought was very funny. <laughs> this is this guy's profile. And I'm going to read this verbatim, okay? Smaller than C cup, swipe left. Over 34 inches, back left. Blue hair, swipe left. Democratic retarded, swipe left. Over 5'7", swipe left. Over 140 pounds, swipe left. Redhead, plus, 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 plus. Republican, plus, plus, plus. I mean, none of us are surprised at that. Blue eyes, plus, plus. If you're foreign, plus, 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 plus. Missing two continents on my bang a girl from every continent bucket list. So if you're from Australia or South America, please hit me up. Oh, boy. Dominic. He's not. I see a picture of him. I'm looking at it right now. Not that cute. I mean, you know, well, your personality sure ain't great. If that's your bio. Dumbass. What the fuck? Why do, why, why? It's just, it's so confusing to me. The nerve, the nerve. I mean, he knows what he wants. And honestly, I'd rather you, that be your dating app profile than me go on a date with you and then have to pull that terribleness out of you over time. If it took longer than 10 minutes to get to know that that's the kind of person you are, I'm out of here. So really, Dominic's doing us a little bit of a favor uh, by showing his true colors that he's a piece of shit. Maybe not. Maybe he's not, guys. Maybe he's great. But I'll tell you something. Not a smooth talker. Not a smooth talker. First dates are so weird. I've not been on first date in a long time. Corinne is setting me up with, two, with people. She says they're very attractive. And I believe her because she knows my taste. And uh, I'm at a weird place with that. Like I don't have, I'm, this, is a, this is where I'm at with dating. I don't have the gut, like if I go on a first date and I'm not into you, first of all, I'll know right away. If there's even a little bit of hope, I'll know within the first five minutes and then I'll desperately hang on to that and then try and build you up in my head to be like the best person ever, better than you are probably. And, uh, and I'll really cling to that. But if I'm not into you and there's just nothing, I'll know pretty soon. But if that was the case, like on a first date, like I don't, I don't have the guts to tell the guy, hey, you know what? I'm not interested. But I would look the guy dead in the eyes, tell them I have to use the restroom and then take my purse and coat with me and then very obviously walk out the front door. Ooh, that's not good. 
I got to be direct with people. It's very uncomfortable to tell somebody you're not interested in them. Well, it is for me. It's not for other people. Like Corinne is not hard for her. Well, she's very nice with it. I'm just, I'm just so like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But what if I did? You know, motherfuckers get their feelings hurt. That's part of life, yo. So last episode, I talked about Babes on Blades as kind of like a tip for a fun life. And I stand by that tip wholeheartedly. If you have rollerblades and you're blading, tag me on social media, Babes on Blades Club, so I can look at it. It makes me very happy that people are getting excited about rollerblading. Something else that I do in my life that just, this is a tiny thing, but it just makes my life a little better in a very simple way, buying fresh flowers. I buy fresh flowers once or twice a week and I put them all around my apartment in vases or vases. I never knew how, which the right one is, but you decide, it's your choice, your body, your choice. But I buy fresh flowers a lot. Fresh flowers will truly brighten up your, even if you live in a shithole, Go to the deli or a flower store. I don't know what it's in suburbia. I guess they just have florists. We have florists in New York City, but also every deli has flowers. And I always walk by the buckets of flowers in the delis. And then one day, a couple years ago, I'm like, you know what? Motherfucker, I'm gonna buy some fresh flowers. And then you could get mad creative with the arrangements. I don't have that much skill with the arrangements, but um, it's very, it's a very methodical process for me looking at like just cutting the flowers and kind of, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I need something to do with my hands and it's very relaxing. And I make a point to like meditate and like appreciate like the beauty of the flower. There's a bunch of books by Eckhart Tolle. He's a great author, um, but he has a lot of quotes about flowers. And one of the first uh, quotes that I read in one of his books um, is a really interesting point about flowers that I'm just going to read to you because like maybe you'll like it too. Much later, those delicate and fragrant beings we call flowers would come to play an essential part in the evolution of consciousness of another species. Humans would increasingly be drawn to and fascinated by them. So true. I fucking love flowers. As the consciousness of human beings developed, flowers were most likely the first thing they came to value, which had no utilitarian purpose for them. That is to say, was not linked in some way to survival. They proved inspiration, they provided, oops, rewind, they provided inspiration to countless artists, poets, and mystics. Jesus tells us to contemplate the flower and learn from them how to live. I don't know about that one. I mean, maybe Jesus had some good points, I guess. Was he real? I always wonder that. I think he was just a guy who had like a cure for a headache and everyone's like, Jesus is magic. But maybe he had powers. I thought it was a good quote. He also, oh, here's another quote that Eckhart Tolle has about fucking flowers. The first recognition of beauty was one of the most significant events in the evolution of human consciousness. Seeing beauty in in a flower could awaken humans, however briefly, to the beauty that is an essential part of their own innermost being, their true nature. Here's another Eckhart Tolle quote about flowers. Bitch. Without our fully realizing it, flowers would become for us an expression in form of that which is most high, most sacred, and ultimately formless within ourselves. I don't really know what that means, but it's like kind of cool. Flowers, more fleeting, more ethereal, and ethereal or ethereal? Again, you're probably yelling at me. I I don't know which one it is. Did I bother to look it up? No. And more delicate than the plants out of which they emerged would become like messengers from another realm, like a bridge between the world. I love between the world of physical forms and the formless. 
I don't. I shouldn't have read that quote because I don't really understand what it means. But um, flowers. All that is to say is that it would brighten up your day if you bought flowers and said, hey. That was my attempt at poetry. Did it work? How you doing? Okay, so I want to I wanna talk about um, a subject that is, uh, ooh, it's tumultuous for me. Um, Adderall. Adderall. Let's talk about Adderall. Or if you are on Adderall, you'd say, let's talk about Adderall. Probably. Adderall, man. Let's talk about it. Because I, I, one of the, uh, I mentioned this earlier, the first episode, but uh, my comedy partner and I, Corinne Fisher, uh, we co-host Guys We Fucked, and we moved over to um, a, a exclusive network that you have to pay to listen to it. It's called Luminary. Very proud. I'm very happy we did that. One of the reasons why I wanted to do that is because I didn't want a shitload of people hearing all the things I had to say that I that might not make sense but I just it, it's scary it was scary to me and people would write articles about us or just like friends would text me like wait were you talking about me on the podcast not a lot of friends but just comics and stuff and and I wasn't and so I'm like this is too accessible because Corinne and I made a promise to ourselves that we wanted to be really honest with people um and we did that from the beginning when we didn't think anyone was gonna fucking listen and turns out a lot of people listen and then so now it's like to this point where with luminary with the the whole logic for me with that paywall thing is yo if you're listening to this you want to be listening so you're not gonna like take my thoughts and use them against me you still might but probably not it hasn't happened yet but anyway um but this is something i talked about a couple months ago um that was very hard for me to talk about I'm addicted to Adderall. Oh, I hate saying that. There is some romance behind being a drug addict, I will say. And it's not good. Movies have fucked us up. But let's, okay, so let's talk about Adderall. Let's talk about like facts before I get into my own personal shit. Adderall is, it's an amphetamine and it's used to treat ADD, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. An amphetamine is a stimulant to your central nervous system. It uses, it, its use results in an increase in certain types of brain activity. I mean, feels like all brain activity when you're on it. Resulting in a feeling of higher energy, higher focus, more confidence. That confidence is all fake though, P.S. And in a dose-dependent manner, it can elicit a, a rewarding euphoria. And boy, does it. Ooh, here's something off of the DEA's website. Um... It's talking about Adderall. So in America, Adderall is considered a Schedule II drug. And a Schedule II drug is a substance or chemicals with high potential for abuse. And boy, that fits. With use potentially leading to severe psychological or physical dependence. These drugs are also considered dangerous. Some examples of Schedule II drugs include cocaine, Vicodin, meth, methadone, um, fentanyl, Adderall, Ritalin, oxycodone. These not great drugs. I'm sure they've helped some people sometimes, but goddamn, they're overprescribed. So this was really interesting that I learned because I wanted to do, I wanted to like, where the fuck did Adderall even come from? It was originally developed, uh, a scientist was, was fucking with the, with the form of Adderall, a derivative of Adderall to cure allergies. So basically, if you sniffed this, your sinuses will clear up. And I've never sniffed the drug. I take it, I took it orally, but... Yeah, that would do it. That would clear sinuses. 
Um, from 1929 to 1945, amphetamines were largely marketed in the United States as the first ever antidepressant medication. And it's like, of course you're going to be less sad when you're on meth. Both of the, oh, this is crazy. Yo, this is, this is, this is a testament to the strength of Adderall. Both the Allied forces and the Nazis used amphetamines and its relative methamphetamines, a.k.a. meth, during World War II to stimulate the troops. It has been recorded that more than 200 million methamphetamine pills were distributed to German troops between 1939 and 1945. So, like, the Nazis were amped up on Adderall. Well, meth. Methamphetamine. But Adderall and meth aren't that far away. Amphetamine-based drugs like benzedrine sulfate became popular amongst mothers in the 1950s in America. This is some fucking bullshit. Mother's little helper, as it was called, was supposed to help women lose weight and become happier housewives. A.K.A. Looking hot for your man and not for you and being more pleasant to be around, I guess, because you're not going to complain that your husband's a piece of shit when you're on meth. And let me tell you, one of the side effects that I personally experienced on Adderall, and I'll get into like exactly when I started using it, how much I started using it, but I was able to stop. To, to tolerate people that I could not otherwise tolerate not on Adderall. That's what Adderall did to me. And this is mean, but I'm going to say it. I was in a relationship for about a year or two longer than I should have been because I was popping Adderall pills and I was t more tolerant of the behavior that I was being dealt. And that's not the other. That's my fault. That's my fault. I'm just saying that to me, not you. I'm not saying you're accused. I'm just like, wow. I look back at that. I'm like, yo, I tolerated so much shit when I was taking Adderall. And we'll get into more of that later. Because I have a list of things that I did on Adderall that I would never have done not on Adderall. And I'm a nice person. I could be, I was a pushover. I was a huge pushover. Adderall makes you the biggest fucking pushover. I hate it. By 1970, the U.S. government passed a law called the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act, and it banned the use of amphetamines without a prescription. So up until then, motherfuckers would just... <sniffs> Here's some stats about Adderall. About a third of college students in America have used an amphetamine drug during their first four years of college. I feel like it's higher than that, but whatever. Between 2006 and 2011... Adderall misuse rose 67% and ER visits went up 156% with friends and family serving as the primary source. Young adults, 18 to 25, made up 60% of those using Adderall for non-medical reasons. In 2018, more people reported using, control, uh, using controlled prescription drugs than cocaine and heroin and methamphetamine combined. So people were popping pills doing prescription drugs that were not prescribed to them, more people were doing that shit. Oh, wait, it says more people were reported using controlled prescription drugs. But let me tell you something. Your girl had a, uh, a prescription for it. Was that an accurate medical diagnosis? No. We'll get into more of that later. But that puts, pres so prescription drugs are second 
behind marijuana when it comes to illicit drug use. Prescription drugs are second behind marijuana. I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, well, heroin's not a prescription drug, but oxycodone is a derivative of heroin. Oh, heroin. I've never done heroin and I never will. And let me tell you, haven't done, I wish I never did Adderall. I wish I never put that shit in my mouth. I look at heroin. I know people have done heroin and I always forget that they've done heroin because I'm not friends with anybody who actively does heroin. That I know. I mean, I feel like I would know, but maybe I wouldn't know. A lot of times that shit goes over my head. I know when people are on cocaine because they're usually meanies. Cocaine's a meanie drug. And it's weird. I don't like cocaine. I was very relieved to find that out. I do this on stage, but I, I, the first time I ever did cocaine, there was like 10 seconds where I was like, yeah, dance party, let's rock and roll. And then I took the biggest dump of my life. And then I fell asleep. That's not fun. Took a huge shit, fell asleep on my friend's couch, slept for 12 hours, best sleep of my life on cocaine. That's a weird, that's weird. And I've done it a couple times since, mainly when friends have it on them. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I never like it. So I, I actually, I officially stopped doing cocaine when random people would say, hey, do you want some? And they'd hand it to me on a key. Now I'm saying no, because I'm my own independent woman. But a lot of times, so, so, here, so here's my, ADD is overdiagnosed. And I've, there's a lot of research done that links ADD, developing ADD or ADHD uh, from having experiencing childhood trauma or something very traumatic in your life. Yeah, that'll make your attention be all over the fucking place because you, didn't, you, you don't have the tools to understand that something that happened to you is not normal. It's not normal, y'all. There's so many things. There's this great TED Talk on the effects of childhood trauma and how most of us have experienced it. And childhood trauma just the, the tiniest thing, well, not the tiniest thing, but parents yelling is childhood trauma. If your parents screamed at each other like mine did, that's childhood trauma. Um, and, and so there's so many ways that a kid can get fucked up, but no one talks about it. So you're like, well, I guess that's life. And then you go through and you're like, wait, I can't pay attention in school. For me personally, this is embarrassing, but I now I love reading now that I'm off Adderall. But um, before, when I was in middle school and high school, I would spark notes every fucking book that got assigned to us because I could not sit still. I could not sit and read the book. And I just thought I was a fucking idiot. But I'm not. I think maybe I had some form of behavioral ADD or ADHD, but it certainly wasn't something that I was born with. I've met three people in my life that have severe ADD, ADHD, and, and they take either Ritalin or Adderall. And it really does help them be a normal person. So I was like, well, I can't pay attention. So I need Adderall. And it's okay. It's dumb. Here's some signs of being addicted. Before I get into uh, my Adderall journey. Um, signs of addiction. And this is, I got off a website. And, and these links are, I'll put these links up on the, the episode blog thing for today. Uh, becoming preoccupied with getting and using the drug. Oh yeah. Boy, oh boy. I could not function unless I knew I had enough Adderall pills to get through the day or to get through a major event. I would look at my week and go, hey, what shows do I have? Oh, I have a long day that day. I better have two, Adder two 20 milligram Adderall pills ready to go. When I started using it, um, it was at an, the first time I ever took Adderall, I was a junior in college and uh, I had an internship and it was a huge deal. It was a casting. It was casting for this gigantic 
comedy show on network television. I was so fucking excited. And one of the, in the middle of this internship, I interned three days a week. Cause I was like over oh, I like wanted to be there. I'm like, I'll be the least annoying, but most helpful person to get you coffee. And then you'll call me in for all the roles. Did I get called in for any roles? No. Did I ask to read a part? And it was pretty inappropriate of me to do. Yes, I did. Did my boss begrudgingly agree because she felt uncomfortable? Yeah, she did. Did I do well in the audition? No, I didn't. But one of those days during that internship towards the end, one of the people that I worked with, there, no one was in the office because it was a holiday, but we had to go in to, you know, do shit. And I was like, I'm happy to be here. I don't care. And I remember this guy said, hey, do you want, um, do you want an Addy? And I was like, what's that? He's like, oh, Adderall. You've never taken it? I'm like, no, it's that. And he's like, well, here. And I think it was a blue one. And blues are either five or 10 milligrams. I'm talking like a real addict here. Um, the blue pills. And I, I think he like uh, broke it in half and gave me half of it. But I will never forget the first time that drug hit my body. Because I was like, and now I'm alive. I've always been lethargic. I've always been a tired person. To the point where my friends would always make fun of me because I couldn't stay out late. Because I was just tired all the time. Never had a problem sleeping in my life um, up until this period. And... Uh, but I always was bummed out that I was never had enough energy to go out and do shit because I wanted to hang with my friends, but I do not rally. When I am tired, the next thing I should be touching is a bed. And if not, get out of mama's way because I'm coming for you in your bed. I just, I was such a, I, and I was a bitch. When I'm tired, I'm like, no one talk to me. That's since changed, but that's because I had a huge debilitating Adderall addiction. But, um, but yeah, I just remember feeling like life was th flowing through my veins. Okay. So another sign of being addicted, needing a supply of the drug on hand at all times. Oh, I wouldn't go nowhere without my Adderall. I'll keep it in my pocket. And at first I was very open about using the drug because it's a openly prescribed, heavily prescribed drug that makes you smarter and do more stuff. So it's like, I'm not going to be embarrassed of this pill that a lot of p other people take that I also take that makes me awesome. I ain't going to apologize for that. I'm being my best self. No, I wasn't. But I thought I was. Um, but I always had to have it. I always needed to know uh, that I had enough for whatever. So if we would go on tour, if Corinne and I would go on tour, I would have to have the Adderall. And there was a few times where I didn't, I remember the first time we started, the first tour Corinne and I ever went on, I got the flu. And it was like the last time I ever got the flu. And the, I don't think I've ever had the flu except that time. I'm like, cool, have it during a winter tour. Great. Where we do meet and greets after every show. Um, but I rallied, whatever. And I didn't bring enough Adderall with me for this tour because we were on the road for about two weeks. And I remember contacting somebody who worked on my team the, the my team and I was like you gotta get me Adderall and I had not had it by that time I was maybe doing it every other day or every third day for about a year at that point and um but I usually if I'm going somewhere I'll always make sure to have the pills and um and I didn't have any and I was so desperately trying to get some that I was texting people that I hadn't talked to in years who were in Los Angeles. I'm like, surely someone's got to have some Adderall. And it just, it was, it was all consuming. I could not relax until I knew that I had a pill. Um, needing more of the drug to produce the same level of pain relief or symptom control. That certainly was true. I started out, uh, I first got a prescription for Adderall. Uh, a person that I knew, um, 
had heard of this psychiatrist who has since retired, thank God. But let me tell you, this guy was a fucking quack. He was a quack. He was a quack. Basically, I got a referral from a friend and said, hey, this guy hands out pills like candy. So like, go to get a prescription and then we can all have some Adderall. I'm like, great plan, man. And I went into this guy's office. Thank God this man is retired. It made me feel so gross when I was there. But did that stop me from getting the pills? No. I remember going into this guy's office. He was old as farts. This guy was so old that I couldn't, like, his hands were very shaky. And he had all these, like, warts all over his skin. But not, like, typical old people. It was just like, are you dead? How are you alive still? He was very old. And he smelled weird. And he talked like this. No, that's not how he talked. I can't do the accent right now. It's not in my head. But he, he had like a, I don't know what the country is, but he, t- he had a really thick accent that was, it was kind of mesmerizing, honestly. But he came, I came into his office and I was very nervous because I was like, all right, Christine, you need to go in there and you need to convince this motherfucker to give you a prescription for Adderall. I thought it was going to be really hard. I created this sob story about how I never was able to read a book in high school. I just thought I was stupid, mister. But you know what? And so I had this in my head. I said, you know what? I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him that I used to be prescribed Adderall in high school. And I'm going to go in there and say, hey, you know, I, I was prescribed it. And then I kind of wanted to go off of it because I was like, I don't need it. But now, you know, I feel like I want it again or whatever. So like I need it. The only questions this motherfucker asks me, and this is the first time I'm ever seeing him, is he goes, let's create a family tree. And he's like, who's in your family? I was like, I have my mom and my dad. He's like, and he wrote mom with a circle and dad. He's like, any siblings? I go, I have a brother. And then he wrote a line and then he go, brother. He's like, who else? I'm like, I have two uncles. He's like, okay. And then that was it. And then he moved on. I don't know why, what the fuck psychiatry trick that is, but I don't know how he got any information about me through this exercise of writing a very half-ass, very tiny family tree. My family tree has since expanded because 23andMe has informed me that I have 87,000 half-siblings. Anyway, um... So I, w- I went to tell him, I said, you know, I, I, t- I took the drug in high school and it was really great. It really helped me. And then I, I went off of it. Um, and I, and this was, I, I, when I went to this doctor at this point, I was a year, uh, I was out of college. So this was 2011. Um, no, it was 2012, excuse me. It's 2012. Um, I, uh, you know, I used to be prescribed it and uh, then I got off of it, but I kind of think I want it. And then he goes, Okay. How many milligrams do you want? How many milligrams of basically meth do I want, Doc? I want 40 a day, Doc. I said, well, that's, I didn't say it like that, obviously. I was, in my head, I was like, wait, that worked? And I go, um, uh, 40 a day, 220 milligram instant release, you know? He's like, okay. And he gave me a prescription at the time, I believe uh, the laws have since changed. They have since changed because he's prescribed it to me differently later on. But he gave me three months worth of prescriptions. And I felt like I won the fucking lottery. Because when you're on Adderall, you will get shit done. You will organize your drawers. 
You will call that family member that's been begging you to call him back and you really didn't want to have a conversation with him because you don't really give a shit about what they say, but you feel bad because your mom's like, you should call. And you're like, I will. And like, Did you call yet? No, I didn't. You take a motherfucking Adderall, you're calling motherfuckers you, didn't even, you weren't even asked to call. You want to talk to everybody. It's a euphoric feeling, but the feeling Adderall gives me is it's like a heightened sense of urgency. And there's a lot of links to trauma and ADHD or ADD. And, but one of the other things that I think specifically with Adderall and trauma is when you are traumatized, when you experience heavy amounts of, of trauma in your childhood, that fucks up your brain to the point where you, here, wait, I'm getting out this graph because my, my trauma therapist, my, my psychologist, not psychiatrist, psychologist that I work with now um, specializes in trauma. And she gave me this giant printout. It's comically large. When she handed it to me, I'm like, all right, I get it. I'm, I have trauma. Jesus Christ. Um, but the graph, it's called after trauma, the nervous system remains prepared for danger. And it shows you this chart and it's signs of chronic hyperarousal. And that's basically fight or flight. The signs of cri- uh, chronic hyperarousal are emotional overwhelm, panic, impulsivity, hypervigilance, defensiveness, feeling unsafe, reactive, angry, racing thoughts. So that's that was my brain for most of my life because of this trauma stuff that I've experienced that I'll go into on one of the episodes. I'll do a whole fucking thing about trauma because boy, am I a doctor on that at this point. And so that's like, I, so basically I was constantly in fight or flight and it got really exhausting. Maybe that's why I was tired because I was just always in fight or flight mode. I was always like, <gasps> what's that? Just by myself walking down the street. No Adderall. I'd be like, what's that? Is that some? Oh, okay. I was just always on the lookout for what? I don't know. Danger, I guess. Danger, danger. So I was in this fight or flight mode all the time. And then when I discovered Adderall, I go, wait a second. I don't have to work hard to be in fight or flight mode. This pill is basically a button so that I'm constantly in fight or flight mode without even fucking trying. The only trying I have to do is swallow this goddamn pill. The swallow pill. That's way easier. I'll take it. So I got, but because, but because of that, because of my upbringing and because of the, the, the state of hyperarousal, that was my comfort zone. I was comfortable in fight or flight mode and it fucking sucked. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Other signs of addiction, engaging in dangerous activities like driving while under the influence of the drug. <laughs> Yo, let me tell you something. First time I popped an Adderall, it was uh, junior year of college, but then I didn't do it after that until about a year or two later. There was maybe two years of intermittent Adderall use, and I never snorted. I would just take it orally, but that don't matter. I keep parading around the fact that I didn't snort it as if I deserve a Nobel Peace Prize for not snorting it. I only took it orally. I didn't snort. It's like, it's not that bad. That's one of the lies I told myself. So engaging in dangerous activities. So I was probably heavy, addi- heavily addicted to Adderall for about four years, four or five years, I would say. And I, the most amount of Adderall that I would do, I'm pretty sure, this is a guess, but I'm pretty sure it was about 70 milligrams, 70 milligrams of amphetamine salts a day. That was the worst it got. And I, you don't sleep on this shit, especially when you're doing that much. You don't sleep, you barely eat. I wasn't an eater anyway. Obviously, I ate because I'm here. So you got to eat to survive. But I was all I ate like a bird. 
I always ate like a, I just pick stuff. Like I snack a lot. It's because of my stomach issues, probably from childhood trauma. But um, my my digestive system was fucked. It always kind of has been. My stomach's always hurt, and um, so I never really ate anyway. But it really makes you not want to eat to the point where I remember trying to put food in my mouth, like at the worst at the worst of it. When I was doing that, like 70 milligrams a day, motherfuckers, that is so bad. That's so much Adderall. Oh, God. But when I was doing that much, I would have to like talk myself into putting food in my mouth. Protein shakes were my shit because I didn't have to think about it. I just drank it and then there's food. But it would like anger me to put food in my mouth. Like I didn't want the food. So weird. But talk about engaging in dangerous activities. While under the influence of the drug, whoo, I went through... While on Adderall, I did a lot of stuff. I stayed in a relationship longer than I should have. Oops. I drank a shitload. It makes you want to smoke cigarettes like you only can get oxygen out of a cigarette. Truly, you just suck on this cigarette like it's your last life source. It's crazy how much more you want to smoke a cigarette with Adderall. Um, I did have sex with a male sex worker. Um, I put that list under dangerous activities. It's not dangerous. We use condoms. But like, it's something that I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't describe this as a dangerous activity, but it's definitely something that I wouldn't have done if I wasn't on Adderall. I don't think I would have done that. I don't regret that experience at all. This guy was gorgeous and he picked me up and just hopped me up and down while he walked around my living room. And I was like, this is service with a smile. But, but I went through this phase after this breakup where I was taking Adderall, I was pounding Adderall. It was probably my heaviest usage period was this past year. Um, but I would do things like, you know, I would have sex with a male prostitute and then I would go down to the, <laughs> I would go down to the Olive Tree Cafe and brag about it to the male comics because like comedians are trash people and I say that in the most loving way. We're the best people ever. But, you know, we're scumbags. And so I would go down there and be like, just fucked a hooker. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Christina. Like I was on such a high horse about everything I did. Um, uh, I would agree to things that I didn't want to do. One of the things that Adderall did to me was if someone asked me to do a favor for them, I, would I wouldn't respond with what I wanted to do. Like, did I want to do this favor or did I not want to do this favor? I wouldn't respond from that point of view. I would respond from how the ideal perfect me would want to handle the situation. And the ideal perfect me wants to help everybody all the time. Fuck sleep. Fuck eating. Adderall. Fuck sleep. Fuck food. That should be the tagline for Adderall. Driving on Adderall, I mean, I did that all the time. Um, it would make me very irritable. And the only person that started to notice it really was my my best friend. She got the brunt of it, unfortunately. I kind of, because, you know, here's the thing when you don't eat and you don't sleep for a very long time and you're hopped up on meth, you get a little cranky. Go a little cranky. And you're not nice, but you take it out on those who are closest to you. And she knew me so well, my best friend knows me so well from since I was a little itty bitty teenager that I was self-conscious of the fact that does she think I'm on Adderall? I was very open about the Adderall usage when I first started doing it. But then when you start abusing it, you stop telling people you do it. That's one of the things. When you hide it, you got a problem. Um, so I did dangerous activities, but I also just agreed to way too much shit. And I would overextend myself because I'm like, I want to want to be able to do all this shit. So I will let everybody know that I will, even though I can't. And then I will beat myself up. It's a very depressing, isolating existence. Um, another signs of addiction, participating in illegal behaviors such as stealing to get more of the drug. 
I didn't steal. I mean, I guess technically having sexual intercourse with a sex worker is illegal, but it shouldn't be. So I don't count that one. Um, and it was fun. And he picked me up. I didn't steal. Oh, no, you know what? Here's something embarrassing. I definitely, this was in the very, very beginning. This was like years and years and years ago before I got heavily addicted to the drug. I would take it from people that I knew had it. I would just like take one pill and then I would feel terrible about it. But it wouldn't stop me from, I, I maybe did that like three times in my whole life. Like take, steal an Adderall pill from a person when they weren't, not when they weren't, not when they weren't looking, but like. If I knew a person had it, I would just go into their cabinet. And I, would, I did it three times. It was only one pill because I felt, I felt bad, but I didn't feel that bad enough to not take anything. And I just, I hated myself for it. But that's also a sign of like, you got a problem. If you're stealing pills, you got a problem. Um, changes in physical appearance, especially if the area, in the area of personal hygiene. I don't really shower that often anyway. Because I don't smell. I really don't. I've asked boyfriends and friends, close friends this. I'm like, yo, do I smell? And they're like, no, you never smell. I'm like, really? Because your girl hasn't showered in eight days. It's more because I have really curly hair. And it's such a to-do to not look like you got a nest on your head. So I wouldn't say that that one personally affected me. Um, doctor shopping to get new prescriptions for the drug. I never had more, more than one prescription at a time. But when my doctor was on vacation and he forgot to renew it, I would just frantically call every psychiatrist in the area. I'm like, but this doctor prescribed it to me and now you have to or I'm going to die. Um, stealing drugs from relatives or friends or asking to use someone else's prescription. I mean, I, no relatives were on Adderall, but I certainly took it from three people. Oh, actually, it was one person three separate times. Sorry. Um, that was so long ago that I feel comfortable admitting it. Um so yeah, so I was prescribed by this by a quack psychiatrist. I took instant release Adderall. I took Vivance, which is another brand of it. It's extended release. It, there's something with the chemical makeup that it is a little different than Adderall. That shit. Talk about being a fighter pilot in World War II. That shit makes you feel like you're a fucking fighter pilot in World War II. Not a Nazi, but I do get why they gave it to the Nazis. Oof. That is a strong motherfucking drug. And then I would took I took extended release, which lasted too long, and I didn't like it. So, but but mostly I was doing the about forty to seventy milligrams per day. I was way too comfortable in the fight or flight mode. Um, but man, did Adderall turn me into one fun son of a gun. That fun didn't last for long because then I got addicted and was hopped up on it all the time and became a very unpleasant person to be around. Um, I don't think a lot of people that were close to me knew I was on it, and that feels bad. That just feels shitty. You feel like you're cheating people out of you. And you shouldn't do that. Um, there was just a period, I feel like, especially that last year, this past year, when I was really hopped up on it, where I was just living by Ferris Bueller standards. I was like, yeah, mom and dad are away for the weekend. But it lasted for like a whole year. Mom and dad are away for the year. And we're going to have a gay old time. But there was times where I would stay up. I look back to the days where I would stay up really late. I interned at Saturday Night Live, one of my most proud accomplishments. Um, just why I moved to New York City. I moved to New York City to intern for Saturday Night Live because I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live more than anything else in the whole world. And I figured if I got an internship there, I'd be like the least annoying but most helpful person to get them coffee. And they like remember me and call me for an audition. So I finally got the internship after interviewing three times and not getting the job. And... Um, because no one quits. When you have an internship at SNL, you don't quit. So there's not really a lot of openings. And you really got to know someone. And I knew someone who was a cast member. 
And I didn't pull that card out until the very last minute. I didn't pull that card out until the lady called me, shout out to Dina, um, saying, hey, you know, we'd love you, but um, no one left this next semester. No one's leaving. And we kind of anticipated a couple people were going to be leaving or dropping out, but no one did. So we don't really have room. And I was like, okay, okay, Dina. Well, you know what? If anybody decides to quit at the last minute, call me and I'll be here. She goes, okay. And then 20 minutes later, she called me back and she was like, you know what? Come in on Tuesdays and Saturdays. And I was like, this is the best day of my life. But when I interned there, I think back to that day a lot because I never, I wasn't using Adderall until after I graduated. Um, that one time in that one internship, but that was just one, one time. Other than that, I didn't use Adderall until after I graduated college. But I would stay up late for those parties, but it was really because I love Saturday Night Live. Because interns were, are not allowed. Here's a fun little hot inside thing. Hopefully I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this. I don't know why I would. Um, interns used to be allowed to go to the after party Saturday night that like started at around 1.32 a.m. And then there was the after after party that started around 4 a.m. And but one time Jeremy Piven hosted and an intern fucked Jeremy Piven. And then Lauren Michaels was like, no more interns at the after party. You can go to the after after party. So by the time I internship, I interned there. Jeremy Piven had already fucked an intern. I would say maybe Jeremy Piven uh, was part of that decision and it wasn't all the intern, but whatever. So interns weren't allowed at the after party, but we were allowed at the after after party, which started at 3.30 in the morning. But your girl was so jacked on the fact that I got to be an 8H that I stayed up. And I didn't, I mean, I, I guess I drank a little bit, but I didn't drink a shit ton because that would have put me asleep. Anyway, so I can stay up if I have the will. I have it in me. I think about that a lot uh, since quitting. I'm like, I have it in me to not do it. Because I did it then. I didn't do it then. And I stayed up and I had a great time. Uh, Adderall makes you feel on top of the world. And you agree to do things that you wouldn't normally agree to. Because on some planet, you want to do them. But not on the planet you're at. It's another planet in your head. Oh, you want me to go to a sports game that I don't give a fuck about? Yeah, I'll do it. This one, oh God. And if you're, if you're, if. The person I'm talking about is listening to this. I'm not going to name you. She's a comedian. Wonderful person. Not any fault of her own. But right before I admitted that I was heavily addicted to Adderall and I started actually telling people, because that was the scariest thing. I kept this a secret. And uh, for four years, I was heavily addicted. The past year was the most addicted. And I would think to myself a lot. I'm like, I guess I'm just going to die on Adderall. Like, am I going to do this when I'm an old bitch? You know, am I going to be jacked up on Adderall on my wedding day if that happens? Which if it doesn't, that's okay too. But am I going to be jacked up on, like all these life events. I'm like, am I just going to be hopped up on pills for all this shit? This sucks. But being present for me was always a really hard thing to do. And and acknowledging feelings and sitting with my own thoughts was something that was really fucking hard. Um, and you feel so on top of the world when you're on Adderall that you 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 agree to shit. And one of the things I agree to, this girl, um, this comedian who's a lovely person, very pleasant to be around, like not annoying at all, but she, we were outside of a comedy club and she had mentioned that she's looking for a place to stay for about three weeks. And my Adderall ass was like, you could stay with me. Listen, I live by myself. And it's a good goddamn thing I live by myself because I do not think I am roommate ready at all. I'm a mess. I'm figuring myself out. I talk to myself a lot. And if somebody's staying at my house, it constricts me. It feels constricting. If even if I have a relative or a great friend that I love and adore visiting me and staying over, I feel like I'm in a prison because I can't do whatever the fuck I want. And whatever the fuck I want happens to be just walking around naked, smoking a blunt, farting. 
But if I can't do that, I'm going to feel like I'm in a prison. And I know prison's a lot worse than that, but that's just, I just felt trapped. But this girl was like, I need a place to stay for three weeks. I'm like, uh, you could stay with me, girl. And she goes, really? I'm like, yes. And then a couple of days go by and she messaged me. She's like, hey, like, I'd really love to take you up on that offer. And I was like, fuck. God damn it, Adderall, Christina. And then I popped an Adderall and I messaged her back. And I was like, you got it, girl. About a week into her staying with me is when I finally realized I had a problem and started telling people. And it was sad and bad and not glad. It was very bad. I'm like, I don't know what happened. There was not some inciting incident. There really wasn't. Um, actually, well, there's a couple things that I think have been building up. One, agreeing to do things that I didn't really want to do. I was getting real fucking sick of that. And two, I think it really made me focus on men more in a negative way. I use, or I, I sometimes can use men as drugs. And I know some of y'all out there know exactly what I mean. But... Um, it would make me more into a guy than I would be not on Adderall. So as much as I already put a person on a pedestal without them really having to earn that position on a pedestal, their pedestal got eight stories taller on Adderall. And I just was just really intensely into them. And too much. Oh, God, too much. I did so much embarrassing shit that I would never have done on Adderall. Like, I would get guys' presents, like, too soon, and I would drop them off where they work. I'm like, here's a present. I heard you were sick. Here's some tea. And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, you like it? It's fine. And I wouldn't ever have those thoughts of, like, hey, Christina, was that a weird thing that you just did? Was that gesture kind of creepy? I wouldn't even have those conversations because when I was on Adderall, I'm like, everything you do is perfect. It's not true. Spoiler alert, it's not true. I was really scared to admit I had a problem because of the thought of figuring it out, figuring out a solution was very overwhelming. But I also knew that if I told everybody, I could be, then I would be held accountable. And so that's what that did. It's very embarrassing, very humiliating, and very scary to admit that you're a, a drug addict. Um, especially when the drug you've been taking seemingly in your head makes you this unstoppable force who gets a lot of shit done. But what ended up happening, this is probably a, a gradual inciting incident to me quitting. I started taking Adderall so that I could be awake and get more shit done and be more, I guess, present um, and not as tired and wanting to stay out late. And then what ended up happening is I took so fucking much of it that I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I was a shit head to be around. I really was that I wasn't getting anything done. So all these to-do lists and all this shit kept building up and I got so overwhelmed and I was just slowly being buried alive by all these things that I said I would do that I just di didn't do. And I would just, it's a cycle of hatred towards myself. The, I was so insecure. My self-esteem was zero because I wasn't acting and talking and speaking from a place that I actually meant to be from. I wasn't myself. I wasn't myself. And I was a, I was a different person. And it's embarrassing, man. It's embarrassing. Corinne and I went on um, to the uh, Joe Rogan's podcast once. That podcast is great. Talk about uh, good press. Um, but I remember one time a person commented on the YouTube video. I usually don't read the comments shit because I'm like, whatever. I'd rather not know with that kind of stuff. Um, and somebody commented, was like, wow, did she just take like eight Adderall? She's just like hyped up on Adderall or something. And I was like, no, uh, no, uh, you're wrong, Jared 560269fuckboy. That's inaccurate. No, girl, it was accurate. He called me out. 
It was it's humiliating. Um, and when you when you are on upwards of seventy milligrams a day, and you stop, I I did cold turkey. I didn't do cold turkey, but I did a gradual thing. So I there was a time where I was only taking twenty, and then a time I was only taking ten. I should have done this under the supervision of a medical doctor for sure, um, but I didn't. And um, this drug. I mean, I would like to say that I haven't done it since I quit. I quit where I I started weeding down weaning off of it in June and um I stopped it fully about two months ago and then I have a couple Adderall pills in my drawer that I just keep because they make me feel safe I don't know why but they just do and then every once in a while I'll like take a bite out of one like a like a very tiny bite less than a five milligram I don't know that I feel it but there is this like Freudian effect um that I get when I just like lick it it's so sad it's not sad because it makes sense with the addi- with the addictive qualities of the drug. Somebody fucking when I talked about it on Guys We Fuck, somebody messaged me about the this, these vitamins that she recommended taking because they kind of can take take the place of Adderall, but it's all natural. It's all vitamins. Whether or not this shit is healthy, I don't know. If you have any insight on this, email me. The Voices in Our Head Podcast at gmail.com. Voices in Our Heads. That's the S on that. But this, I got these vitamins. It's called Qualia. Q U A L I A. And it just says, mind. The, the packaging is very sexy. It's a giant bottle of vitamins. Premium neurotropic for mental performance. It's a neuroactive collector. That doesn't sound good. But basically, you take seven to nine of these vitamins uh, first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. And let me tell you something. It mimics the feeling of Adderall. There's a lot of stuff in it. A lot of vitamin stuff. And a lot of things that I'm not going to put you through the pain of me trying to pronounce. But I'm, this shit's all natural. That doesn't mean it's necessarily good. But, um, oh, there is caffeine in it. Oh. I was telling motherfuckers there wasn't. That's a lot of caffeine. Ooh. Well, that's why that's happening. But anyway, this qualia shit uh, is something that I take, I don't know, maybe once a week. I'll take like a chunk of the pills in the morning. But it, it honestly, the feeling is a little more overwhelming than Adderall even. Um, but it does mimic the feeling very closely. There's a documentary on Netflix. It's called Take Your Pills. And I first saw that thumbnail about a year ago. And I was like, what's this about? And I saw that it was about Adderall. And I was like, no, I can't watch it. And because um, I didn't want to face the fact that I was addicted to it. And um and then I finally watched it. And it's a very helpful documentary if you're curious about the effects. There's a lot of motherfuckers prescribed Adderall, especially in college. Um, and some, some of these quotes, this one doctor that they interviewed had a quote that says, these drugs make you become more deliberate and more methodical. They tend to stick with, you tend, you tend to stick with things longer that are not of interest or are boring. So something like, I personally, I like cleaning, but some like a task that I wouldn't normally be excited to do, if I popped an Adderall, I would be so amped to like, let's take Adderall and reorganize our closets. Um, and that stems to something that has resulted from trauma is a fear of boredom. I am so terrified of being bored. Well, I was so terrified of being bored. I am not, I have since not been terrified of being bored. I actually take solace in the more boring moments in life because they're not really boring, they're relaxing. And one thing I, that was always said to me by my parents is like, Christina, you never relax, you hate relaxing. And that's fucking true. But now I'm starting to get used to relaxing. Some other stuff from this documentary, Take Your Pills. Um, this girl, oh no, this guy, this doctor, he's like, when I was in college, people did drugs to check out and now people do drugs to check in. And that says something about our culture right now. And I was like, boy, doc, that's a good quote. 
That's a good ass quote. Took drugs to check out. Now people are taking drugs to check in because so much is expected of us. And especially, this is something that uh, living in New York will do. You're surrounded by people who were, are, you are always surrounded by people who are younger than you, who will work harder than you, who will do it for free. If you're an artist, you know this all too well, but there's always someone younger and hungrier who will do it for fucking free. And that's terrifying and anxiety inducing. And so Adderall gives you one up. It makes, it gives you, it gives you that one up to be this overly performing human robot thing. Technology is very overwhelming. Sounds like I'm going to go into an ad, but I'm not. But just, we're so overwhelmed by all this shit, all of these, it feels like the internet's just fucking yelling at me all the time. But you have to figure out ways in your own life to, to make, make, you know what, make rules for yourself. Because this is what something I started doing. I had a, a friend... Um, who was telling me that he doesn't take his phone in his bedroom when he goes to bed. He leaves it uh, like in the next room. And so when the alarm rings, he has to get up to get it. And I'm like, that's great because boy, is it easy to go down a black hole right before you go to bed and then all of a sudden you don't want to sleep. There's so much technology is getting so crazy now that here's a crazy suggestion. Let's bring beepers back. Remember those? Remember beepers? I never had a beeper because I was too young for that. My brother did. But a beeper, if you don't know, and I imagine there's people listening who don't know what the fuck a beeper is, but somebody, you could go to a pay phone or a phone and call the beeper number, and then it just, on your beeper, it just goes beep, because, you know, it's called a beeper. Very self-explanatory. And it just beeps, and it says, here's the number who called you, and then you got to call them back. And what a simple little thing that is. It's not anybody telling you to call them. It's just a device that beeps when you call the number, and that signifies that they'd like you to call them back. What a simple, beautiful thing. Let's bring back beepers. One of the college students uh, interviewed on this documentary, Take Your Pills, um, she was not a major that was arts-related. I think she was some math or science-related major. But one of the things she said that she noticed about herself when she started taking Adderall was what her, her creativity would go away. And she said, she's like, you know what else is weird? I'm not funny on it. And I was like, oh, fuck. I cannot tell you how many times in the, over the past couple of years in my high addiction phase where I would go on stage and then the audience would look at me like, the fuck you just say? And I'd be like, they just don't get it. They don't get my art. No, bitch, you're on meth. Maybe that's your problem. You're on meth. So it, the decision to ho- come off of it uh, came when I just in a, in, in a bout of j- depression. And, and I feel like I, I felt like I lost myself. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck I am. I don't really know that I really had a clue, but I was going way, I was going further in the opposite direction from finding out who I actually am, who I is, who I was, who I is. And that was really depressing. So uh, when I decided to tell everybody about it, um, that was really helpful. It was, it was really helpful to be held accountable. And my friends were very supportive about it. It, w- it was nice. Um, some of them were kind of like, yeah, I thought something was fucked up, but I wasn't sure. My manager, God bless him. He was about to have a huge talk. Well, he did have a huge talk with me about it. Um, he's like, you don't answer emails. You don't call me back. You don't submit for these auditions that I'm getting you. And I'm like, and I that made me want to die. Because like I, being a hard worker is something I pride myself on or something, and it's something I aspire to be at all times or as, as often as I can 
while also having the wherewithal to know when I need to break. That delicate little balance we call life that no one's really good at, but we can try to get better at it. Um, and, and, and he was telling me all these things and he was being really honest with me. And I was just sitting there crying like a puppy getting, being like, like, like when you take it, when you put a dog's face in its own shit and it's like, look what you did. That's how it felt. Cause man, I loved having a pity party for myself. If feeling bad for yourself wasn't so fun, I wouldn't do it. I don't feel really bad for myself anymore. Cause when I, when I'm upset with myself over something, I'm like, okay, you're not happy with this. What are the steps you could take to make this behavior change? Um, but, um, uh, Adderall is, uh, not something that most people should be on. I'm just going to straight up say that. Don't, if you have never done it, don't do it, dude. Don't do it. It's, I wouldn't wish an Adderall addiction on my worst enemy. And because it's so, it's so openly talked about, the, the use of it is so openly talked about, not the addiction. That is not openly talked about. Um, that it doesn't feel bad. It doesn't, you don't feel like a bad person for doing it. You're like, well, it's not like meth. Like I don't snort it. It's not heroin. It's not oxycodone. But it's basically meth and you have no business taking it. And if a doctor is prescribing you Adderall, ah, for for especially if it's for something like um, ins- well insomnia, if you have like a crazy sleeping disorder, I do understand how that can be useful. But there's got to be something better out there. But if you're getting prescribed Adderall for depression, run away from that fucking doctor. That is not something that should it should ever be descri- prescribed for, because everyone's gonna be a little bit happier on meth. Oh wow, gee, you don't say. Meth will make me up on awake. Yeah, motherfuckers, it's meth. There's a show that I talk about, I've talked about before on Guys We Fuck that I really, um, really adore. And this was also um, an instigator in helping me um, come to terms with the fact that I was addicted to Adderall and um, that I needed to do something about it. Uh, It's a show on HBO and it's called Euphoria. The first season is available if you have like the HBO you know, sign in shit, or if you know a dad with it, or you steal it from your ex. I don't think you're a bad person if you do that. I think you're a great person if you do that, actually. Um, and it deals with the main character, Rue, played by oh, Zendaya. It's the most beautiful person ever. Um, she's a really great actress. This show is beautiful. It's really stylized. It's it's funny at points, and it's like a, a teen, like a high school melodrama, but it's beautifully stylized. The director uh, and the cinematographer do great work. But she essentially, uh, the main character, Rue, was addicted to painkillers. Um, and there's this one scene. This, this show is very... The, uh, there's a bunch of trigger warnings that you should have before you watch this show. If, if you are someone who is um, traumatized by sexual assault, just there's some episodes that were hard for me to watch and I'm not traumatized by sexual assault. So I could not imagine if I was how that would make me feel. I don't, I don't know if it would be good or bad. You know you. But just know that this show is really fucking intense. Um, but there is one scene that her, her, the guy, her, her good friend who sells her these painkillers um, – decide like understands that she has a problem she goes to rehab then she gets back on the drug and then this guy decides to not sell to her anymore and there's this one scene where she's standing outside of his door because he refuses to open it for the first time he's standing up to her and he's not going to sell her these drugs and she goes absolutely fucking apeshit and bangs on the door with all of her might and screams and oh god I want to cry thinking about it that that sad desperation 
was exactly what I felt inside, um, especially the last year I was doing it. It got to the point where, oh, if I was going on tour and I didn't have enough Adderall to like last me for the amount of days that I wanted to have it for, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. But that last year, if I didn't have any, I will fucking push a baby away so that I can get that. It really is a, is a crazy fucking feeling. Um, and, and to get off of it and to be, to wean off of it is really, uh, it does, it, it's good for your self-confidence and self-esteem. And it, and also my creativity is back and I feel like I'm a person again and it's really beautiful. And if you're listening to this and you struggle with Adderall addiction or drug addiction of any kind, uh, I'm really sorry that you're going through this, but Trust me, it's better on this side. I feel like I see colors more vibrantly. I'm present during conversations. My friend Melissa, she, I was really not kind to her in the throes of this addiction. I was kind of using her as like my emotional punching bag. There was a few instances where I, I was so mean to her, meaner than a, I, I ever thought I was even capable of behaving to another person, let alone my best friend who I love so much. And one of the things she said to me, she's like, you, you don't look me in the eye. You're always looking around. You're always looking at your phone. And it was, I was always on this hyper state of alertness. And to not be in a hyper state of alertness, man, it's a really beautiful thing. And I do think, uh, I don't know what the deals are with rehabs. I imagine they're very expensive, but I also imagine that there's resources out there to get Maybe a, the state that you're in or the country you're in can fund it um, for you. Or maybe there's there's resources out there. You have to be hungry for them and look for them and search for them. Um, but uh, I think uh, I, I think it's if, if you're if, if you're when I when I brought up the word Adderall and you went <gasps> and your heart went in your chest a little bit, you're I think you might be addicted or, you know, somebody who's addicted and it's not fun and it's not easy to admit. But once you admit it, you can, and then you start weaning off of it, and then you're actually off of it, and you don't feel like you're um, being electrocuted at all hours of the day, life opens up, and you really begin to appreciate these small things, like fucking flowers. Thanks, guys. I hope you had fun. If you want to email me anything, the Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review it on iTunes uh, if you want. But if you don't want, tell me to go fuck off. I love you. Till next time. The ADD is all that's left to blame. I can't get it together. I should know better. I got a mind like weather. I always seems to change. It's getting harder. So I need a doctor. It's gonna make me smarter. At least that's what they say.